Hello and welcome to my series of conversations with stalwarts of music. Today's episode is being partnered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences, which is an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They're the launchpad for a lot of artists and indie musicians in general, helping them leverage success in the best possible manner. And they also help generate funding for social causes and make sure the process is smooth. Do check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com And we have yet another podcast partner which is Wire Up Music Store One of the finest music retail stores with state-of-art equipment Ranging from guitars to ukulele, classical to percussive instruments Do check them out on their Instagram handle at the rate wireup.india And if you happen to be in Bangalore, do check out their store in Koramangla This is a very special episode indeed. Uh, firstly, I'd like to wish you all a very happy Diwali. And on this lovely occasion, I am delighted to welcome my guest, who's Mindy Aber, who's cultivated her unique style of music, which is built on her foundation, which has a lot of integrity and authenticity. I'm sure a lot of aspiring instrumentalists have a lot to study and learn from. Mindy's honest personal expression. She has one of the most successful careers both as a session artist as well as a recording artist. She dons several hats ranging from being a radio host, a podcaster, an author, a multi-instrumentalist, a singer and a national trustee at the prestigious Recording Academy of Arts and Science. This is the institution that puts together the popular Grammy Awards that all of us see. She's also been on Adam Sandler's HBO special What's Your Name? She's been on the David Letterman show and on the reality show American Idol on several occasions. She's collaborated with some noteworthy artists like Aerosmith, Booker T Jones, Joe Bonamassa, Dave Koz and many more. Without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest for today, Mindy Aber. Will be joining us shortly. Hi, Mindy. How are you? Which part of the world are you in right now? I'm doing great. I'm in Los Angeles, uh, in mm -hmm. Hollywood, actually, at home. Okay. Um, which I think I'm here about six days until the end of the year. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we've got a great tour schedule. So I'm I'm chilling for a minute here. Lovely, lovely. It's 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 Diwali here in India. Festival of Lights. And uh, we've got we've got people in the neighborhood bursting firecrackers. So don't be surprised if you hear something. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I wish I was there with you. The you know, right, right. celebration. Yeah, it's it, it's a great uh, a lot of great festivity happening around here. Yeah, amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. For you that. might hear some some uh, you know stuff around here, but it's just Hollywood. It's uh, right. helicopters and. <laughs> Yeah, I think I just yeah, heard of sirens race cars. and stuff like that. It's it's yeah. not a celebration. Right, right, right. Uh, so let's get started with our agenda for today. I have a couple of interesting questions coming your way. Okay. How old were you when you when your parents realized that they had an exceptionally talented child upon their hands? <laughs> I love that you say it like that. That's that's awesome. Um, <laughs> you know. 
I, I can't answer that question. I'm not, not them, <laughs> but I, I think I did like to make noise. And mm -hmm. at a certain point, they, they probably put me in music classes because they wanted just the banging on the piano to stop or the, you know, me going up to my dad's saxophone going, Hey, what's this? Um, so yeah, I started piano when I was five. Um, but I had grown up on the road with my dad's band from the time I was born. They basically, you know, took me from the hospital, um, into the band truck. And so all my childhood pictures are in the back of a car or a band truck or a hotel, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was a cool way to grow up. And I think, yeah. um, you know, all of us were so into music. It just, it was meant to be. I'm sure. Uh, especially what fascinates me is the fact that you went in for an instrument like the saxophone back in the day, which was a rarity. And you went in for something that is very masculine in form in terms of an instrument. What was the impulse behind this? You know what? No one told me it was masculine. No one told me it was odd yeah. for a girl to play a saxophone until it was too late. <laughs> and I was already into it, and I thought it was super cool. Um, you know, I had watched my dad on stage, and he was the saxophonist and B3 organ player in this blue-eyed soul band called The Entertainers. And they were so fun to watch on stage. And from my yeah. earliest memories, you know, he was the guy, you know, just rocking and rolling and playing his sax and, you know, shaking and shimmying. And, and it was super fun. So when I was, you know, uh, you know, charged with what would I want to play? I wanted to have that much fun. And so I chose saxophone and I never looked back. It is an amazing instrument. It's like an extension of my voice. And uh, I chose well. Wonderful. It must be very challenging to learn the technicalities of playing the saxophone. It is quite something. It, it, it's no child's play. But when you look back upon it without being modest, can you say that you always had this extraordinary flair for the instrument or was it trained to you? You know, that's a great question. I, I took piano when I was five for a few years, but I never took saxophone lessons um, until I was in college. So, you know, I probably had three lessons uh, mm -hmm. with people here and there, just, you know, yeah. local music store um, until college. So it was really something I found on my own and just kind of learned how to play. And, and it was an instrument that that kind of led me, yeah. you know, it, it really, I had great inspiration. I was watching MTV and, you know, you'd have Tina Turner sax player up there <laughs> muscling the saxophone around and you'd have Clarence Clemens you know, bigger than life with Bruce Springsteen. And, yeah. you know, I, I had really cool role models on sax and just in front of me as these huge rock stars. And I just thought saxophone made my voice bigger. And, right. uh, and so, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of training. Uh, college was kind of like, whoa, okay, the art of the saxophone, I get to delve into that. Right. And I was, I was pretty you know, I was pretty new to all that and I needed it. I know it's, it's quite difficult uh, for, for an artist like you to possibly express this. The saxophone has been so much part of your life 
You might even feel that it's a carryover from your previous life to this one. So could you explain to us what is the state you go through when you play this particular instrument? What does it do for you? You know, I, uh, I just, I, I love the instrument. And I think with any instrument, you know, that, that people play, that they spend their lives mm -hmm. playing. And I've spent more of my life playing saxophone than, than I haven't. Yeah. Um, I think it becomes an extension of you. Yeah. And so for me, the saxophone is an instrument that, you know, I can express myself on. I can, I can whisper through it. Right. Uh, I can scream through it. Um, and so for me, the, the process of, of playing it is to really allow it to become um, just an extension of me. That's the idea that you can get so close to the instrument Mm -hmm. that it can just allow you to emote and, and it be natural and just let you play what you feel, let you play what you hear. So that's always been my, um, you know, my deal with the saxophone. Like, okay, I get to know you enough that we can be one and we right. can make music together. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's everything that I want to say. Uh I would also like to understand uh, what is it like to be uh, an instrumentalist and a singer and a storyteller? <laughs> you know, early on, I remember looking for a record deal because back in, you know, back in those days, you couldn't mm -hmm. really make music on your own and you couldn't yeah. really, you know, make yeah. records in, yeah. in your bedroom like you can now. Mm -hmm. um, the world has changed. You really had to be you know, kind of gifted, like, ding, you deserve a record deal. Um, and I remember just every record label saying, well, you sing and you play sax, um, you really have to choose because you can't do both. You kind of have to market to people and people won't really understand that. Um, so it was really, it, it was a gift to meet the A&R person who was at Verve Records, Bud Harner, right who has been a part of my career since the very beginning. And he thought that it was a gift that I played saxophone and sang. He, he thought that it was really cool yeah. and that I should be me and that I, I should, you know, just let it all come out the way that I heard it coming out. And uh, so I, I love that. And of course I took his record deal and, and uh, you know, he's been this integral part of my career. He manages me now. So, you know, I think you, you learn to trust people that trust you and, and that believe in you for, for what you are. I'm different than most other people, but hopefully that's what makes me successful. If uh, you know, if we all as artists can, figure out who we are and believe in it and, and move forward with it, it makes us different from everyone else. Um, and those differences can be perceived as, uh, you know, weaknesses. I personally perceive them as strengths. So um, that's how I've, you know, gone about my path. You did mention about Verve Records. Ever since I was a little boy, I would be interested in learning about different record labels. I'd just uh, Google them. I'd, 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 I'd read names like Blue Note Records, Mascot, Columbia Records. But there's yeah. also Verve Records that you have been associated with. 
and i've been very intrigued by the fact that every time i bought a cassette it said verve records on the inside on the on the cover of it so there have been uh, several uh, cassettes that you know that have been part of our collection like remembering shakti featuring john mclaughlin and ustad zakir yeah. hussain and my grandpa had a few old classics like the oscar peterson trio the uh, antonio carlos jobim and those legendary records that have been associated with verve right so i believe they are a subsidiary of universal music group at this point if i'm not mistaken yeah. right yeah so since we're talking about labels now can you tell me that what what the environment is like and uh how, what what's the experience been like for you with verve records you know what i absolutely loved being on verve records i did three uh records with them my first three mm-hmm. records mm-hmm. um as an instrumentalist and yeah. they were incredible to me they really they told me you are the new generation of jazz you have your own you know your own sound you don't sound like other people we want you to run with that mm-hmm. we want you to use who you want um to produce it and and who to write with and they really gave me that creative freedom and that's a big deal because in most genres at most record labels you know they want you to use the producer who's creating all the number one hits yeah. or you know just kind of play the game like that So they gave me a lot of freedom to be me and and really helped me on that path. Um so after that I I moved to Concord Records because Verve right. had a real shakeup everyone you know had kind of it, it was just a shakeup everyone left and it's like the whole record label was going through this tumultuous spot and the people that signed me left. So mm-hmm. I figured go to Concord which was another incredibly historic Right. record label and I did wow I think I did 5 or more records on Concord before I I started my own record label pretty good for a girl records um but it's such a gift to be on record labels like that that you know you just sit back and go oh my gosh all this history is you know a part of these labels and now I'm a part of that history it feels um it feels humbling you better make good records <laughs> i'm sure you you've made great music <laughs> <laughs> thank you i i sure tried i felt like i yeah. you know i had to stand up you know uh right. to to be on the level of those people who had come before me that uh, yeah. i better not disappoint <laughs> you definitely set a benchmark i'm talking to you today <laughs> so let's let's touch upon the aspect of performance so how do you judge a performance when it's over in terms of your relationship with the music and the way that the audience respond to it so how do you conclude that it was a good performance you know for me performance is a a connection uh a con- you know a connection between myself and my band right. and the audience right. um so i always feel that it was a great performance first and foremost mm-hmm. if I feel that connection happened if me and the audience became friends and I feel like we shared, you know, a moment in time and that, you know, I gave as much as I as I could, you know. Um you know, there are other ways to judge performances, you know, did I play well? Um did, you know, did the song sound perfect? 
um, those are secondary. You know, for me, you, you can have, you know, something where I screwed up a note or, uh, you know, someone screwed up a, a chord in the bridge or something. Those things are superfluous, you know. Yeah. Uh, what really matters is if you connect with the people in front of you. And, and that's the most important thing for me. I, I love artists who, who give and, and connect and, and form a relationship with their audience. I really respect that. I think it takes courage to sing a song that's, that's personal and, and sing it into people's eyes instead of, you know, just shutting yourself off and not, you know, emoting. Um, so for me, it's, that's, that's always my, my first and foremost is, is connecting with the people in front of me. That's it. If it's successful, they had a great time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I also was wondering if you had role models, are there certain people whose careers prompted you to say that someone's making the right choices in terms of making music? So is there someone like that for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I looked at, you know, early on people um, like the band Heart, you know, were going into rock and roll. Um, But, you know, the band Heart, they were Mm -hmm. incredibly strong women and they were out there rocking out and they were just as fierce as any of the men. Um, And they were just doing their thing, singing their songs. And I think they were incredible role models. Mm-hmm. Um, I then looked to, you know, obviously I play the saxophone. So, you know, here I was playing saxophone in the school band right. and, you know, then watching Anne and Nancy Wilson from heart rock out, you know, right. um, where does that, you know, where does that all make sense in someone's career? But as a oh. kid, I remember my father took me to a David Sanborn concert. Oh, wow. Okay. Incredible. And it was like a light bulb going off. You know, I'm watching this guy play and he was like the lead singer in a pop or rock band. Um, his band was super cool and they had tons of energy. They were incredible musicians, um, but they had fun together. And David Sanborn was up there in front and he was just kind of controlling it all and at the forefront he was the lead singer, but saxophone was his, you know, his instrument. And that was what carried all of that energy forward. And it made all the sense in the world to me that I could take all these bands I was listening to as a kid that were rock and roll and pop and all this energy into my saxophone and that I could be the lead singer of my band, you know, I just had to find great people to surround me mm-hmm. I had to find great musicians that inspired me and we could be that. So he was, he was definitely a formative person for me looking at career, you know, how to, how to build a career. Lovely. Uh, in terms of your career, you've uh, collaborated with every possible big name in the industry and you've, you've, uh, made a bunch of incredible records with them. From what I've understood, you've been working with artists who are in different phases of understanding their creative self or in terms of a vision they're trying to cast. Right? Uh, as people, each of us have a different sense of identity and a different way of connecting. Right? You're, you do it using certain set of instruments and 
of course, your singing and, and that, that persona that you associate yourself with. But for someone who's starting out, how do you help them discover their identity initially and cast a vision in terms of reaching a certain milestone? How would you do that? I, I think that's such a great question because it's, it's something that's hard for so many mm-hmm. of us, you know, to kind of figure out who we are and, right. and what our voice is. Sometimes it's a lifetime journey, yeah. you know, that it may change, you know, as, yeah. you, as you find yourself and, and change and, and morph um, throughout your life. Um, but I really think, you know, as a young person trying to figure out, you know, what do I have to say as an artist and, and what makes me special? I really think you have to trust the music that inspires you and mm-hmm. the music that, that sticks with you. You know, I, I remember being in school mm-hmm. in college my first year and it was all traditional jazz and all the classes and all the ensembles and bands were traditional jazz. Yeah. And the bands I was listening to were not traditional jazz. Um, and I remember a few of the students and teachers saying, well, those people are just sellouts. You know, they, they aren't playing, you know, the music that they're supposed to be playing. They're just selling out to make money. And what I realized was uh, I was selling out if I was going to stick with traditional jazz because it wasn't the music that moved me the most. It was more contemporary based music. I was listening to rock bands and, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire and James Brown and David Sanborn and the Yellow Jackets. You know, these were bands that weren't based in traditional jazz. Um, So I made a decision that I was going to respect what I grew up with and what I heard and what moved me and go in that direction. So it, you know, you find what's selling out for you and what's not. Um, but I, I found my voice that way, kind of following that North star of, you know, what I grew up with and taking that and, and marrying it with what I was learning and what I was being inspired by. I was inspired by traditional jazz, but it wasn't my North star. Um, you know, it was something that came in and influenced me and inspired me towards learning different things. Um, but really my North star was what I grew up on with soul and rock and, and blues and with a little bit of jazz in there too. <laughs> right, right. Uh, congratulations on your album forever. It's quite a Thank breathtaking you. experience and the title forever is so evocative, right? Tell us a little bit about how it applies to your perception and the listener's perception in terms of the music. You know, this record uh, is a very important one for me and, and a very special one for me. Uh, I had made four records just before this that were band records. I was yeah. Mindy Abair and the Bone Shakers, and that was a band experience, and it really? was awesome. Um, You know, the records we made together were blues and rock, and it was just high energy, driving music. Um, So, you know, here's this record that I've kind of got in my head, and I was writing songs and kind of putting them on a shelf thinking, 
I'm going to make this record at some point, you know? So when it came to be that time, I just kind of knew it's time for me to make this record. I've got all these songs in my heart uh, that I want to get out, but it's going to be a solo record. It needs right. to be because um, it's a, a very personal record. So um, to make this this album, I brought in a lot of friends, some from college, like Abraham Laboreal Jr., um, who I played drums with in college. And Was we it from Berkeley? Friends. Are these friends yeah, from Berkeley? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then new people that I had come across that I loved as well. You know, I just brought people in. Rodney Lee, who's been in my band 20 years. Um, and and then brought in some friends from different worlds. Steve Perry from Journey and Kenny right. Wayne Shepherd yeah. um, from the blues world and Raul Malo uh, from a more Americana uh, rock world. So it was fun to create and just get in the studio and, you know, uh, portray these songs that I had written um, that meant so much to me. So it's a very touchy-feely record from my perspective. It's a bit organic and rootsy in the sonic atmosphere. Um, definitely not the uh, modern synthesizer, you know, programmed everything. Um, it's definitely, you know, a less is more production and approach to this music because it was so personal. It is very incredible to see all of these musicians blend in so well on this record. It's, it's, it's like a dream record having Steve Perry. What's he been up to? He's, he's, he's been like out of the limelight for, for a while. He's been doing his own thing. What's going on with him? You know, I, I know he made a solo record a little while back, right, and that right. was incredible. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he's living his life, having a good sure. time, you yeah. know, doing his thing. Um, lucky for me, he happened to walk in the studio when we were recording yeah. and, and just stayed. And uh, he's such an incredible musical mind and musical talent, you know, for him to to just hang out um, was good enough for me, you know. But he kept making suggestions and, and saying, you know, what if you'd sing this? What if you'd, you know, right. try this? And And finally it came to the point where I just asked him, hey, I'll do it, but come in the booth and sing with me. And, uh, and he said yes. And so, you know, he's on five songs on this album and just what a gift to have his voice and to have his, you know, his brain, his musical sense uh, be a part of this album. It, it really, it was pretty amazing to, to be a part of it. This, this particular album opens with quite an uplifting track. It's called uh, Fine uh, Wine. And vinyl. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, about three years ago, my husband and I kind of took a leap of faith mm -hmm. and we decided to start our own business. Um, he's run amazing wineries. He's a oh. wine guy. Oh, wow. um, So his whole life has been running wineries like Kendall Jackson and Mum Napa mm -hmm. and, you know, these just incredible properties. So you know, we figured we'd join forces and we'd be wine and jazz. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a great combo. I agree, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we wrote this song um, and thinking, 
you know, fine wine and vinyl. This is wine and jazz. This is kind of a song that's a, a testament to us and living and, and being who we are and kind of celebrating the whole notion of, you know, pairing wine and music together. So, uh, you know, it worked for our lives. So I wanted to record this song. <laughs> uh, if I were to look at your discography, the, the music that you put out over the years, there, there, there have been several records which have been artistically honest and very sincere. Is that a hard course to maintain? I mean, I think that, uh, I, I think that you have to write songs about what you know about, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be real. Um, yeah. I mean, we could all write the, the just, yeah. you know, little pop ditties and, you know, sing about whatever. Um, it's not my thing. Um, I'll let someone else do that. <laughs> but I mean, for me, I want to write melodies that speak to me and I want to write lyrics that that uh, speak to something that I care about. You know, I've written songs like Pretty Good for a Girl or Where There's a Woman, There's a Way or right. Be Beautiful. Um, these are songs that that mean something to me that that stand for something that I believe in. And so I think as as artists, we have to, you know, we have a mic in front of our face. We have a chance to talk about what we believe in and stand for things that we believe in. So yeah, for me as an artist, I, I want to be honest and I want to write songs that are meaningful. And, uh, you know, is it hard? Mm, I don't, I don't think so. I always think it's hard to stand in front of an audience and sing them. Sometimes I wrote a song about, um, my husband and I getting together and, you know, kind of dating and, and going through our, thing and getting married and it was this you know romantic love song and the first time I sang it I was you know tearing up and you know choking up singing and so you know that sucked because you're trying to get this song across and and you're sitting there like (laughs) you know you You always want to do it all perfectly and sometimes a song's so meaningful you're gonna get you know a little choked up but you know I'd rather I'd rather write songs that are meaningful instead of, you know, not. Got it. Let's talk about the present. There are so many tools for artists, for people to work independently and put things out. Uh, You know, we have everything that takes. Some might want to put a little bit of hustle and go for it, but some might be a little lazy about it and and tend to procrastinate. Not everybody is uh, business-oriented, every time right so but does it mean that anybody it does not necessarily mean that someone's better or worse we're not trying to sort of bring that kind of a difference but some people tend to think that if i'm doing this all of my energy goes into this and uh, i might not have the bandwidth after a certain point Uh, whereas some people might say that i have a team to look after it and i I, I might be mentored about digital distribution and things like that and make myself more knowledgeable about how it works, right? Yeah. So right now it's more of gradual development as an artist where you just get a distributor, put your music out and then gradually grow compared to the record label that we spoke of earlier, which helps with the distribution aspect. What is your take towards something like this? I mean. 
right now there, as you said, there's every tool available. You can do it all. You know, yeah. you can be your marketer, your record label, your, yeah. you know, yeah. um, your tour booker, you know, you can do it all, but, but it, it takes time. It takes effort. And there's only so much, uh, of you to go around. Um, you know, when I grew up playing music, all you really had to think about was being a musician and writing music and, you know, figuring out, oh, how's this going to sound? Or how am I going to play it? You know, right. now it's, oh, wait, I have to register it with uh, Sound Exchange or ASCAP and I have to put it out and, you know, manufacture it and I have to market it. Um, you know, it's a whole different world. All these beautiful gifts that we've been given um, are also things that can suck our time away from art, you know? And at the end of the day, people are going to buy your music or buy a ticket to come see you because they like your music. Music is the heart of it all. And so we can never forget that the music will drive whoever you are. The music will drive your career. It doesn't matter if you're a master marketer or if you choose to have someone else market you or if you choose to start your own record label or you choose to go with the record label. Whatever that is, just make sure that your art is strong, that it's you, that it's you know, that it's the driving force. So spend your energy there before you spend your energy anywhere else. Um, all those decisions may change over your, you know, career. I started out with major labels, but have gone to my own label because I felt like I wanted to have the bandwidth. I wanted to own my own music. I wanted to control it. I wanted to kind of be the gatekeeper of it. And it yes. takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of business, you know, savvy to keep that going while keeping other things going like our wineandjazz.com business. Um, it does take away from that just focus on pure art um, of coming up with music. But for me, I chose that and, and I knew what it was going in. So I think, you know, focus on the art and and figure out what you can take and what's important to you um, and, and what your level of comfort is doing those jobs. Some people are like, I don't want to do any of that. I'm going to make music and you guys deal with getting it out there. And that's totally cool. So it's, it's a personal decision. Are you trying to imply that there is not much of a role that a record label would have in this digital era? Is that what you're trying to say? I think, you know, I think major labels have lost a lot of their, their power uh, because obviously anyone can do it right. and everyone and, you know, everyone and their mother are making records and putting them on Spotify and Apple and, you know, Amazon and, and getting their music out there like crazy. I mean, people are becoming huge stars that don't have a record deal, you know, and making money and being very successful. Um, not having a major label behind them. Um, but having said that, you know, major labels have money and power and reach and a machine that can really help you. So, um, yes, I think it's, to answer your question directly, yes, I think their power has been lessened because it is possible to do it yourself. You just really, 
either the music has to be incredibly, you know, inspiring and, and get people to react or, um, you know, just some things have to happen that you can cut through all the millions of songs that are being put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. You know, it helps to have a machine behind you. So they still have a lot of power and wield a lot of influence for sure. Got it. Fair enough. Yeah. You, you seem to have this enormous sense of continuity, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the saxophone being your underlying instrument. Uh, and you did kind of project it in a sense that it'll survive the future, right? Thereby re- revealing history of sorts. Uh, what is your own projection in terms of this? And you still have so many decades left in terms of your performance ahead of you. But if you were to think of your next life, would you still want to be a musician again, playing the saxophone or some other instrument possibly? Wow. Hmm, I have to think about that. I mean, I, I think there's no better way to go than to play music to people. Um, you know, there are some times, you know, we're in a, a, a van traveling through the U.S. or or somewhere else that, you know, it's very unsexy that, you know, we're sitting there with no sleep and going to the next show. And, you know, we look at each other and think, are we nuts (laughs) for doing this, Um, for being musicians and and traveling the world doing this? Um, But we, we may be nuts, but it's just the most beautiful way to spend my life. I can't imagine a better thing. I get to stand up in front of people and sing them songs or play them songs that I write that mean something to me and then connect. And connecting with people is is everything, you know, and, and finding that, um, you know, that sameness with all of us and, and getting all of our energy into one place uh, together, that's the best gift. So mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine a better um, job or a better life than being a musician. Uh, I feel like we're bringing joy to people when they need it, or we're taking their mind away from, you know, the the crazy news of the day. Um, we're giving them kind of an escape path to to feel and emote and and get somewhere in their heart that maybe they weren't earlier. So, yeah, I would, I would choose music again. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely take to life, too. You're a national trustee for the Recording Academy and the co-chair for the National Advocacy Committee. So what are your own personal learnings and feelings about this powerful post that you hold? And what are some of your roles and activities as part of this? Well, I'm not anymore, um, but I was. Um, yeah. I, I was a trustee mm-hmm. uh, for the Recording Academy and uh, the Los Angeles chapter president mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a governor for the Recording Academy for about 10 years. And, you know, what drew me to do that was, uh, you know, the fact that they really put money and energy and uh, resources for kids growing up to further music education, to further music in our schools. 
And I feel so strongly that we need that. We need the arts in our schools. Our kids need to learn music. They need to have it as a part of their curriculum, uh, you know, to learn. I mean, it doesn't just teach you how to play notes and how to play an instrument. It teaches you discipline and integrity and teamwork and just so many other things that make you a better functioning human being. Um, So I really got involved for that. Um, But, you know, I delved in and just kept going and kept, you know, moving. And and I'm very inspired by what the Recording Academy does. Um, It's a very, uh, well, it's definitely the pre, you know, preemptive, you know, uh, just organization that is for all musicians, whether you're a songwriter or a sax player or a a singer, an artist, you know, a producer. So here we are, you know, this is, this is the one kind of star up in the sky that goes, okay, we care about you all. We're going to look after you. We're going to further music, uh, you know, historically and, and for the kids and, uh, you know, and give out awards that are from your peers. Um, that are creating alongside of you. So they're incredibly meaningful. So yeah, I very much champion what the Recording Academy is doing. Mm-hmm. And even our wine and jazz business, we put out a few wines every year um, with playlists that are music centric, um, you know, that give money back to the Grammy Museum, which mm-hmm. is their outreach for kids and music education. Uh, what, are, what are some of the activities that you've been doing? Uh, in the in the uh, academy, yeah. I mean, while I was, uh, you know, president of the LA chapter and a trustee, mm-hmm. um, we would do things like, you know, figure out uh, what were the priorities of the recording academy. You know, we really we put together while I was there a panel of um, incredible women artists, songwriters, mm-hmm. singers. Uh, lawyers, executives, uh, you know, business women, of how uh, we would meet uh, weekly and we would discuss how we can further women in right. music. You know, it, it, it is a hard place for women to flourish. Um, and, you know, there have been many kind of roadblocks uh, for a lot of us um, that have impeded people becoming CEOs or people becoming the artists they want to become. And you really want to make this beautiful place for women to flourish in the music business. And what better, you know, place than the Recording Academy to kind of lead the way and, and you know, help women uh, find that path. So, um, yeah, I was a part of that. Uh, we were also, you know, a part of really enhancing the education aspect of kids in music um, by creating just a lot of infrastructure that our states in the United States could use to put it back into schools. Um, We also went to Washington, D.C. to lobby um, with our government Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to further laws for musicians, for songwriters getting paid a fair royalty rate um, for those of us that play on songs or sing or, you know, record songs that we didn't write. Usually in America, you don't get paid a cent for that. So we really lobbied for those laws to be changed. So there's a lot the Recording Academy does besides the day of the Grammys. 
And I was, you know, very proud to be a part of those efforts to change laws, to, you know, uh, further education and, you know, and, and do a lot of things that could help us as a community. Wonderful. You've done a great deal of work uh, yeah. during your tenure. I mean, it, it's incredible that you've, you're trying to sort of uh, try to build this entire community of artists, helping each other and representing them to get to a certain level. I feel when there is a concept of community, things keep getting better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes in music, uh, you know, people feel at odds with each other and, you know, it's like, oh, no, it's I've got to win. And for me to win, (laughs) I have to kind of push you down. Um, I I don't believe that. I believe that we're all in this together as a community of musicians and writers and artists. We are absolutely stronger than we are on our own. And, you know, we can we can help each other. You know, as women, we can help each other. We can be each other's champion and cheer each other on and lift each other up. So I, I feel really that was, you know, one of my uh, biggest jobs as a, you know, trustee and, and president of, you know, the Recording Academy to, you know, just help create and strengthen that community of, of artists. And I think it's a great thing to do. Lovely. Uh, in terms of globalization of culture that we are uh, subjected to at this point, at what point do you think that music gets spoiled when subjected to innovation, digitization, and a lot of change in instrumentation techniques? So what is that threshold or what point do you feel that it's getting corrupted uh, due to certain circumstances? And what is legitimate change according to someone like you? What's the balance? You're, you're speaking mostly about like technology or... Right. Yeah, the role of technology and uh, music in general, right? Like it's been evolving and right now yeah. we hear something complete, entirely different, right? Which, which yeah. yeah. So in that interpretation is what, what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. I, it might surprise you, but I, I really feel like let it go. Let people create what they want, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I remember my father complaining to me, you know, that he just, he doesn't think it's music when someone sits at a computer and just, you know, presses buttons and doesn't really play an instrument, but just, you know, makes music by, you know, using fake instruments and this and that. And I get it. I get the old school way of thinking. Um, but I feel like, let it go. Let people create music any way they want to. Um, Cause some great records have come from it. Some really bad records have come from it too, <laughs> but that's all right. Instrumentalists and songwriters and everything. We've made bad records too. Um, I really think let music evolve, let people have fun, let people express themselves. Technology is going to change exponentially as we you know, as we go year by year, and it's going to open different doors. So for people to uh, peek their head in and go, what about this? What if we made music this way? You know, it's not all going to be what you or I think is Grammy worthy, um, but it is interesting. And it is, um, you know, pushing the boundaries. 
you know, and you look at jazz artists like, you know, Charlie Parker or Dizzy Gillespie or Miles Davis, they were definitely breaking the rules. They were doing things that people did not like. You weren't supposed to play, you know, double time changes over jazz standards. You know, how dare you? This is so wrong. The use of, you know, what you're doing. Um, I applaud it. I think it's, you know, the rock and roll way. Break the rules. Try different stuff. Do what's in your heart. And um, let's see where it goes. I say music is, you know, something that we all can make from our heart. So let it be. <laughs> Got it. Uh, speaking of rock and roll, India definitely has a stronghold in terms of a lot of rock and rollers who support the music scene. And yeah. a lot of them uh, out here on the stream are interested to know some anecdotes of your experience playing with Aerosmith. <laughs> we don't have enough time for that. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, probably um, the top highlight, you know, something that... Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, Aerosmith was just an experience of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Sometimes you say yes to things and just know that it's going to be this crazy experience and you just, you want to be there for it. You want to, you know, you want to live it out. And so for me, going on the road with Aerosmith was just that. I was such a fan of their music. I knew so many of their songs. I, I just, you know, I wanted to soak in the, the rock and roll love of it all. And all those guys are ridiculous, incredible musicians, you know. So sure. to be a part of it was an incredible gift. Um, yeah. So they hired me and mm -hmm. basically didn't give me music. There was no rehearsal. There was no set list. <laughs> <laughs> I just showed up. Insane. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, wow, I, I guess someone's going to tell me something, you know. Yeah. So on my very first night uh, playing with Aerosmith, I remember you know, it was five minutes before showtime and someone came to my dressing room door and they said, Joe Perry would like to see you in his dressing room. And I thought, okay. So I go to Joe's dressing room and he goes, you know, I really want to thank you for being here. And, and, you know, we really were, we're looking forward to playing with you. And he goes, can I do anything to help out? You know, can, do you need anything? And I just looked at him and I went, thank you. I would love a set list. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, a set list was produced. And I spent the next four minutes wow. going over the set list, you know, going, ooh, okay, uh, hmm, what do I play on this and this? And, uh, you know, Steven Tyler was, was this amazing butterfly of an artist, you know? Oh. He's just his own his own guy. I remember that halfway through the tour, he wanted to do a, a song a different way. So he called me into his dressing room. And, uh, and so I, I went over and I stood at the door and there's Steven Tyler in his dressing room. Uh, just as you'd think he would be almost naked. I mean, nothing on except like a little, you know, like G string, you know, that's it. And he's just running around doing his thing. Hey, I want to talk about this song. And I just looked at him and went, hmm. And his body card was, was standing 
to my side and I just said, you tell Steven Tyler to put on some clothes and then I'm going to come back and we can talk about the song. So five minutes go by and they call me again. I come back and Steven's behind this wall and he goes, okay, okay, you know, we're fine now. And so I go in, talk about the song. Joe Perry came in. We talked through, you know, what we're going to do for the song differently. And then at the end of the conversation, Stephen goes, and I'm naked. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, he just likes to have a good time. He likes to, you know, uh, yeah, he's a rock and roll star. You know, you got to give it up. But he was so much fun. Uh, to be on stage with, and, you know, he would come over and play with you and push you, like, come on, sing, sing, you know, and he was, oh, just a very inspiring human being, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. How, how different is your approach to music when it's attempted in films and commercial forms, different from what you do originally in terms of your original music? And what was it like working with Adam Sandler, who's my all-time favorite comedian, on Sandy nice. Wexler? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go with the Adam question first. Um, okay. You know, Adam Sandler did a tour in 19, I think it was 95. Mm-hmm. And, and I got the call for it and auditioned. And I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. I just thought... Huh. You know, Adam right. Sandler is putting together a tour. I'm into that. That seems like fun. And so I, you know, auditioned. I think there were 200 girls that showed up. And so he chose me and and two other girls to to sing on his tour and for me to play sax uh because he was going to do, you know, like some Bob Marley and some Bruce Springsteen and stuff like that. I could be the sax player. Um so from there, you know, we toured all summer and it was just, I have to say it was the most fun tour I've ever been on. It was, you know, all these incredible rock and roll guys from, you know, it was Wadi Wachtel from Linda Ronstadt's band and Stevie Nicks and, uh, you know, and you've got the guys from Fleetwood Mac and, oh, wow. you know, uh, just all these incredible, you know, uh, James Taylor's band members. It was it was kind of the who's who of the band. Mm-hmm. And then I'm learning from these guys and we're playing all this music. Adam was just at this beautiful stage where he was becoming this huge, huge, huge star, but he was just a normal guy. And we just had a blast. So since then, anytime he needs saxophone, he calls. So I've done a few of his records now mm-hmm. and, um, you know, played for his MTV movie award lifetime achievement and uh, done a couple of the movies just go with it i'm in and sandy wexler and it's just fun to get together he's just a, a super cool guy what you see on screen is pretty much him um he's just a goofball but super smart and and really knows who he is knows who his audience is and i i've learned so much from him as an artist that you keep people around who are special to you You, and you keep that family of people who can create with you and continue your work. You're not only going to have more fun, um, but you're going to have people around who you know that they know you, they know who you are. 
Um, nothing's going to get diluted. Mm-hmm. Um, the same guys who were on tour with us, who were doing his music back then, his music and movies, are still doing it. It's that team that he built and kept loyal to. And uh, what an incredible, you know, lesson to learn from him. You know, make a team, keep it around you, and make music and movies with your friends. Yeah, come on. So anytime Adam Sandler calls, I'm I'm there. <laughs> um, I forget your other question though. There was like a part one to that, wasn't there? Yeah. So how is it? How is the process of making? movie uh, making music for movies different from the original music that you put out how's that different you know mostly the music i've had in movies has been my music that i just created to create mm-hmm. i've never created something just you know ooh this is going to go in a movie so i've right. never really had to consider that um i've played on a few tracks for movies like on adam sandler's movies i've done the tracks Mm-hmm. for the songs that I played in the movies. Um, and, you know, of course, you just have to get the the, the feel of it and, and right. be what that song is. Um, it's not like being a solo artist. You have to, you know, create what that vibe is for that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the only difference. Um, but for me, creating stuff, I've usually just created my own stuff, and, and sometimes it gets in a movie, and that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, my song "Every Time" was in the Robin Williams oh, wow. and Mandy Moore uh, movie long ago, and that was a pretty cool thing. Lovely, lovely. Yeah. So, in the interest of time, we're going to get into the last segment, which is the rapid fire segment. It's a fun segment, fun part of the interview. I'm going to be giving you very easy questions. You don't have to think a lot about, and <laughs> you can be spontaneous with your answers too. Okay. First question for you, Mindy. Okay. What is that one song that always makes you cry? Ooh, makes me cry. Wow. Um, probably the Whitney Houston song. Well, she, you know, Dolly Parton wrote it. I Will Always Love You. Oh, that's yeah. But Whitney song. Houston kind of made yeah. it the hit. And my friend Kirk Whalem played sax on it. And his sax solo just makes me want to cry. It's just so beautiful. Got it. On the contrary, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song? <laughs> you know, one of my favorite songs of all time is I Want You to Want Me, Cheap Trick. And I just, I think that's like sheer joy. Right. I Want You to Want Me is a pretty perfect song for who I am. <laughs> what are the top five artists or bands that you're listening to right now at this point? Like, what are you, hmm. who are the new artists that you're listening to? I don't know that there's a lot of new in there, but I mean, on my usual playlist right now, <laughs> it's pretty old. Um, we're going uh, Dave Matthews Band. We're going Coldplay. Um, well, it's Miles Davis. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong with Miles Davis. Um, Sly and the Family Stone has been playing a lot in our house lately. A lot of Sly and the Family Stone. Um, and as far as new artists, um, Marcus King. I'm totally digging Marcus King. I think he's awesome. Um, I think his music's just super cool. Um, yeah. Is that five? Ray yeah. LaMontagne. Can't go wrong with Ray. Great, I like great. him too. Great, great, great choice. 
What's your favorite cuisine? Indian. Yeah? It's totally you... Indian. That's my favorite. So, um, yeah, Indian by far. I could eat Indian food every single day. What's your favorite Indian dish? What do you enjoy the most? Uh, I love naan bread. I could live on naan bread. A uh, little mint chutney on there. I'm good. Um, but my usual order is uh, shana masala and uh, halak paneer and uh, chicken curry. Um, I like butter chicken too. Um, a little vindaloo. I'm not mad at vindaloo. See, I'm totally food driven. <laughs> Likewise, I love food too. <laughs> Papadon, I would eat that. You know, we're going on the blues cruise mm-hmm. in about a week. And normally uh, s- some of the chefs are Indian. That's what I eat the whole week. I don't even touch any of the rest of the food. There's like a little Indian aisle and that's, you know. Yeah. 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 I have one last question for you. This is uh, a custom in all of my interviews and all of my guests have different perspectives to this question. So here's the question. Down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as? I would like to be remembered as someone who left the world a better place than I found it. And I think we can all do that in our own way. Um, my way is music and, uh, you know, and, and personally. Um, but you hope that you're a good human being. You hope that you are remembered as someone who is loving and caring and respectful uh, to those around. And, uh, and with music, I, I hope that I can uplift people and make their lives a little more joyous and leave the world a little better than I found it, hopefully. Wonderful. This interview will additionally be aired on uh, Big FM Shillong and Azol, two incredible radio stations that cater to English music. And like I mentioned earlier, it'll also be part of my program, Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera, which will be streaming live on every possible platform from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatnot. So I'll be sure to share the link once it's out and you can share it with your fans. And as we continue to celebrate a dozen marvelous musical pieces that you have for us, the showmanship that you have displayed in terms of your abilities with the saxophone as an instrument and your vocal abilities and of course the songwriting plays a very rich and intense life that all of us sort of await. Thanks so much for tuning in, taking time out. It's been a great blessing and a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you yeah. for really thoughtful questions. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm, 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 glad, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you had found, uh, you had a lot of fun and I'd love to sort of host you in uh, India. Like, please do hit me up. I- I'd be happy to show you around. And since, since both of us are foodies, I'd-, I'd-, I'd love to show you some South Indian food as well. Okay. I need to know. You need to open my world, please. For sure. Take you up on that. For sure. <laughs> Thanks once again, Mindy. Uh, do stay in touch. Thank you. All right, then. Bye-bye. Bye.